Hi, it's Dr. Weitz. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Private Medical Practice Academy. You've decided that you're going to rent a space for your new business, or you may even decide to be a landlord. Regardless of which side of the deal you're on, you're going to want to understand what's involved in tenant improvements. Before we even get started, let me give you this disclaimer. If you're looking to rent the space for the least amount of time, then you want to plan on asking for the least amount of tenant improvement. This is going to overall decrease your cost. But that said, let's assume for a second that you're actually going to have a longer term lease. One of the first things you want to understand is what is the difference between gray shell and vanilla shell. The lease rate and the tenant allowance are going to be significantly different depending on the type of shell that you're talking about. Let's start with gray shell. Gray shell is a completely unfinished space. You generally will get bare stud walls, unfinished floors, and no plumbing or electrical. There is usually a point for connecting to the sewer within the space and a space for the new electrical service within the electrical room. The space may include an HVAC unit, but it's unlikely to include ductwork or controls, and if required by code, you may have a sprinkler system that is installed but not dropped down through a finished ceiling. In comparison, a vanilla shell offers a almost finished space and a relatively quick move-in time. As should be obvious to you, gray shell is going to require more work to get it completed, but the trade-off is that you have a greater opportunity for custom finishes and designs. One of the things that you're going to want to keep in mind is that gray shell, because it's going to take longer to complete, you need to factor that in when you're thinking about how long is it going to take for me to open this new business, because you may find that your timeline is off. In general, the finished cost for a vanilla shell can run between $5 and $20 a square foot. On the other hand, gray shell can be upwards of $30 to $100 a square foot, depending on how custom the build-out is. So a couple of things to point out here. Obviously, the per square foot price for gray shell is going to be less than the per square foot price for vanilla shell. Why? Because obviously you're going to need to put those extra dollars into the build out. I want you to recognize that most landlords or sellers offer some type of allowance to finish the space. And this is part of what you're going to negotiate when you lease a space or even if you're going to purchase a space. The key here is that if you're leasing, you need to know that typically the longer the lease term, the more generous the landlord is going to be in terms of the tenant improvement allowance. This comes back to my original disclaimer. If you think that you're going to sign a shorter lease, i.e. less than five years, then I would strongly recommend to you that you don't go into this thinking that you're going to build out this perfect space because you're probably not going to get a whole lot of allowance from the landlord, and you're going to have to come out of pocket. Now, in this episode, I'm going to talk about space that's being leased. But I do want you to understand that these are exactly the same issues if you were going to purchase a space. And obviously, if you are going to buy a commercial property and lease a space, in this case, you would be the landlord. But the issues remain exactly the same. So what is a tenant improvement allowance? Basically, it's an incentive that's negotiated into a commercial lease by a prospective tenant or their representative, i.e. the broker. 
As the name suggests, it's a construction allowance that allows the person who's leasing to customize their space to fit their needs. And this is where really understanding what your business flow looks like is so important. For example, if you are an internist, you may not need a sink in every exam room. Or if you're a urologist, you may want to have a commode in every exam room. So really understanding what business you have, how are you going to utilize space is going to help you as you start to think about the build out. Because this construction allowance is part of the lease agreement and is most commonly negotiated along with the rental rate and the lease term, the tenant improvement allowance doesn't have to be repaid. It's not really a loan to you. It really is part of the lease agreement. And as you can probably imagine, negotiating the tenant improvement allowance can be a huge incentive for you to choose one property over another. And again, I'll come back to the fact that this is particularly true for medical office space where you may have very specific build-out requirements. Meanwhile, let's look at it from the perspective of the landlord. Tenant improvements can be very costly. So your value as a tenant and the extent to which the build-out actually improves the property overall are going to be the things that give you leverage. In addition, I want you to understand that real estate market downturns are when you're most likely to get the greatest allowances because the landlord may be having a hard time leasing that particular space. Again, at the risk of being redundant, I want to point out to you that when you're comparing different properties, keep in mind that you really need to look at the total cost of the rental package. And obviously, the lease rate, the lease duration, and the amount of the tenant allowance are all linked. As a tenant, your goals for negotiating tenant improvements should be twofold. One, get an allowance sufficient to cover your planned improvements. And two, that you want to maintain a high amount of control over the build-out. So in order to negotiate, we need to understand how tenant improvement allowances are typically calculated. The average tenant improvement allowance is based on a negotiated dollar amount per square foot. That per square foot cost is going to depend on the condition of the property and the state of the real estate market. So if you're calculating your allowance based on the number of square feet, it's essential for both you, the tenant, and the landlord to agree on how the amount of square footage is determined. Ideally, you want to calculate the rate based off of the usable square footage, meaning only the space that you, the tenant, actually occupy, rather than the rentable square footage, which can include a portion of the common area. Alternatively, you may ask for a turnkey build-out rather than an allowance per square foot. In this case, the property owner is responsible for the financing and completing all the negotiated improvements before you move in. However, this method is usually negotiated along with a higher rental rate because the owner is taking the risk of all the upfront costs. And then, sometimes the landlord doesn't want to be responsible for shouldering the cost of the improvements. And in this case, they might offer you free rent or rent reduction for a period of time, and then you take on the risk. So how do you decide which of these options works for you? The first, and probably the most obvious thing, is that you need to come to the negotiating table knowing what you actually want in this plan renovation. 
I would strongly suggest to you that you consult with a space planner or designer before you negotiate so that you actually have an accurate figure of what it's going to cost you for this build-out. And if you're using a commercial realtor, which as an aside, I would strongly recommend that you do, they'll be able to guide you or at least recommend a trustworthy, reputable space planner. A tip here, when you need to hire a space planner, an architect, or a contractor, you're going to want to interview and get bids from at least three of them. It doesn't cost you anything to interview them. It actually doesn't cost you anything until you engage them, and you're going to find out a lot of information and get the best person by going through this process. Now, back to why you need to know what it's going to cost you for what you want the build-out to be. Let's say that the landlord offers you an allowance of $10 to $20 per square foot. I'll come back to the understanding of whether this is gray or vanilla shell. Assuming that it's gray shell, if you accept that build-out allowance, you're probably going to figure out very quickly that this amount only covers electricity, plumbing, and air conditioning. Anything else that you're going to want is going to come out of your pocket. Now, I want to set you up for realistic expectations. Unless you're asking for the most minimal changes, it's pretty common for the landlord to refuse to cover the whole build-out. As a matter of fact, more often than not, both parties invest money in the build-out. And to that end, if you're responsible for all costs over and above the landlord's tenant improvement allowance, you're going to want to preserve some control over the construction process and have control over the costs. Which in turn brings me to how does the tenant improvement allowance actually work now that you've negotiated the terms. Aside from the amount of the allowance, you're going to have to negotiate who's going to be in charge of handling actually making the improvements. In general, there are two possible outcomes for this. Either the landlord's going to control the renovations or the tenant is going to control the renovations. When the landlord takes complete control of the construction process and delivers you the completed space, it's called a turnkey build-out. And with a turnkey build-out, you need to worry that the landlord's incentives may not be in line with your best interests. Look, the landlord has no motivation in this situation to shop for the best quality for the best price. Their only agenda is to simply complete the task for the least amount of money. And the landlord's contractor may or may not be the best fit for your build-out. And in this situation, you also lose the option for seeking competitive bids. Frequently in construction contracts, there's going to be a provision for contingency costs. Contingency costs are used to protect the person paying the bill from cost overruns. With a turnkey build-out, this is going to be the landlord. You need to understand that these built-in cost cushions can effectively reduce your tenant improvement benefit if the landlord completes the project under budget. What do I mean? So, for example, if a landlord estimates that it's going to cost $35 per square foot and the project is actually completed for $29 per square foot, then you as the tenant have lost $6 per square foot in potential improvements. So one of the major issues with a turnkey build-out or landlord-controlled tenant improvement is the economic incentive to cut corners. So unless you have simple renovations like a paint and carpet job, it's generally in your best interest to refuse turnkey tenant improvements in favor of the traditional tenant improvement allowance. Now, if we look at it from the landlord's perspective, the biggest advantage to the turnkey 
is that you'll ultimately have more control over the improvements of your property and you have control over the total cost. The obvious disadvantage to the landlord is that it adds more work and more risk. And then from the tenant's perspective, the biggest benefit to the turnkey is the ease. After all, you get to move into an already renovated space, but in exchange, you're giving up control over the decision-making and you have to trust that the landlord is going to make the best decisions for your needs. This is why I'm telling you that something simple like paint and carpet, no biggie. But if you're looking for very specific build-out for your needs, then that's a whole different story. So let's talk about tenant-controlled renovations. When you negotiate tenant-controlled renovations, it's important that the landlord has clearly defined in the contract what the allowance amount is, particularly what the cap is on what they're willing to pay, and to specify what costs are directly the tenant's responsibility. As the tenant, you're going to benefit from this arrangement because it allows you to actually ensure that the space is going to be finished according to what you actually need. But I can't stress to you enough that you need to budget wisely so that you don't end up overspending on your renovations and then in turn have more out of pocket than you were planning on. I can tell you firsthand that this is an issue because if you're controlling the construction and you decide to change something, there's a change order, you have to pay for it. If you decide to upgrade the handles on your cabinets, you have to pay for it. So you really want to understand your own budget if you're going to be responsible for some amount above and beyond what the landlord is paying for. So what improvements are actually covered under that tenant improvement allowance? Just like when you're a kid and you get an allowance, you don't necessarily get to spend that money on anything that you want. Similarly, what the allowance includes varies from lease to lease. However, as a rule of thumb, most landlords prefer that your tenant improvement dollars solely cover the hard costs of the renovations. So what is a hard cost? Usually it's referring to the necessary materials and labor. So what doesn't it include? Typically, it doesn't include your soft costs like architects and attorney fees, permitting charges, legal fees, etc. It also doesn't include furnishing and moving costs because these don't offer any tax advantage to the landlord. Sometimes a tenant can secure the right to leftover tenant allowance dollars. Let's say you move in and realize that you want to have some built-in counter space. Other times, the landlord may try and negotiate the right to keep any unused TI allowance money. Obviously, this is not in your best interest. Unless this is a turnkey build-out, you're going to want to ask a lot of questions because you're going to want to know where your money's going for future improvements. You want to make sure that you have the right to prepare or at minimum approve the building plans and that you have a say in who the contractor is going to be you want to make sure that you get a detailed budget of the build-out. This comes back to what I was talking about in terms of getting competitive bids. You want to get multiple competitive bids so that you can see the range of costs for each aspect of the project and make the most economical decisions for the best build-out. You need to understand that construction needs to be monitored frequently, sometimes daily. And that's where really having a good general contractor is so absolutely essential. 
depending on the scope of your project, you can even engage your architect to actually oversee the general contractor. This is generally not necessary for a small project, but obviously if you have a major build out that's intricate, you may want to have the architect oversee the contractor to make sure that every last detail is carried out. And while I understand this may cost you some additional dollars, if there are any issues, it's going to cost you both time and money. Which brings me to a couple of other points. When you're negotiating the construction details, you want to have language addressing liability for delays in delivering the product, as well as cost overruns. Look, if it takes them longer to deliver the space, it can be a real inconvenience to you, especially if you're planning on this space to open a certain day. You're going to want accountability. Now, if it's a turnkey, then you need to hold the landlord accountable. On the other hand, if it is something where you're actually managing the construction, you're going to want to directly hold the general contractor or the construction company accountable. I know. How do I hold them accountable? Well, basically, you put in a penalty. You need to deliver the space by X, Y, and Z date, and I'm going to deduct some amount of money for each day that it is late. I will tell you from personal experience that this is a very effective technique in making sure that your contractor actually gets the work done on time. And then, to that end, the other thing you're going to want to negotiate is when is that first rent payment due? Typically, the landlord expects that as soon as the architect or the contractor declares the space ready, that you're going to pay them. You, on the other hand, are going to want to wait until you're moved in and operational in order to write the first check. As a matter of fact, you actually want them to give you early access so that you can actually get into the space and get yourself up and running before you actually open your doors. It is not uncommon for that early access to be a week or two and to be rent-free. Just in case you haven't gotten the message yet, everything in this process is negotiable. If you don't hear me loud and clear, negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. That tenant improvement allowance is a great benefit, and you need to negotiate hard for it. A lot of times, as a tenant, you're thinking to yourself that this is some big concession, you don't have to feel apologetic as you're trying to negotiate for the best tenant improvement allowance. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to sign up for my newsletter below, and I'll be sending you tips on how to start your practice, best run your practice, grow the practice, and then ultimately be able to leverage your medical practice into multiple other businesses. I hope to see you soon.